Father, I just thank you uh, for the word of God. I thank you that we can come to it this morning. And we just ask that um, you would help us to see Christ more clearly this morning. I pray, God, that the written word would lead us to the living word. And for that to happen, Lord, we're just dependent upon your spirit to speak to us. And uh, we know that you will. That as the word of God is held high, and as Jesus is lifted up, the Spirit will speak to our hearts. And so, God, we, we ask for that, Lord, just for each one of us, Lord. You know what we need this morning. And so, God, would you just take your word and apply it to each one of our hearts, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 2, it says this, verses 1 through 4. And I... When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power Verse 5, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's arrival uh, in Corinth in the missionary journey and the planting of the church uh, is recounted in Acts chapter 18. It's there that he met Priscilla and Aquila. They were tent makers. Paul was a tent maker by trade. And for a year and a half, while he was uh, beginning the work of the ministry there and planting the church in Corinth, Paul worked as uh, a tent maker uh, amongst, amongst them. And in the days that had passed and the time that had gone by since he had left the city of Corinth and those days of planting the church, the Corinthian church had fractured into parties. We saw this in, in the first chapter that some were saying, I follow Paul. Others, I follow Apollos. Still others, I follow Cephas. And then those super duper spiritual ones, I follow Jesus. And what had happened in the church was that the people of God had begun to place too much uh, priority and importance upon the preachers, upon their teachers, upon their leaders and their personalities. And the, the Corinthians had lost sight of the fact that the effectiveness of preaching, the effectiveness in the proclamation of the gospel is not in the person that's standing in the pulpit, but in the Holy Spirit who demonstrates the power of the gospel message as it is proclaimed. Paul, when he came to Corinth, didn't come as a salesman. You know, he didn't come as a, another philosopher touting the latest trend or the newest idea. He didn't come to start a fan club. Paul did not arrive in Corinth to glorify himself. He came to glorify God. He came to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ as an ambassador of the Lord. He came to bear witness for Jesus Christ and all that Jesus had done for the salvation of mankind. And so in doing so, he says, you know, you're fractured into parties here. Let me remind you what my priority was and what I was about when I came into your midst. Philosophers and teachers, they depend on eloquence, on, on their wisdom and their ability to argue and to convince people to their point of view. But Paul said, when I came, that wasn't my game plan. I didn't depend on clever speech. I wasn't leaning on hu human arguments. I simply declared to you the word of God, the gospel of God, the crucified Lord, and God in his power demonstrated to you that it was real. For Paul, the, the ministry in Corinth wasn't a self-promotion tour. Paul was not seeking to exalt himself. God had sent him to preach the gospel and not with human words, he says, lest the cross be emptied of its power. He proclaimed the gospel and he trusted God to convince the hearts of men regarding Jesus. You know, there's a certain church that 
had a beautiful stained glass window behind the pulpit. It was up there and beautiful. And on this stained glass window was a picture of Jesus crucified. And one Sunday, the pastor who was regularly there ministering was not in the pulpit and there was another man ministering and he was a little bit smaller than the regular minister. And one little girl who was sitting in the congregation and listened to him for a while, leaned over to her mama and said to her, where's the man who usually stands there so that we can't see Jesus? And Paul said, look, I didn't come to glorify myself. I came to point you to Jesus Christ. Paul glorified the cross and he made Jesus the center of his message. Again, in verse one, he says, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Regardless of the outcome, interesting to think, you know, Paul, regardless of whatever the outcome would be, Paul felt that it was his duty uh, before the Lord to preach Jesus and to preach Jesus crucified. And with that conviction, Paul, Paul made a decision in his heart and in his philosophy of teaching and in the way that he would preach. And, and that was this, that he would reject human wisdom. And that he would make it his own personal goal to know Christ and him crucified. What he's saying is he personally wanted to know the truth of his own preaching. He wanted Jesus applied to his own life. He said, I want to know him. Here's an illustration of that. After Jesus died on the cross and his body was taken down from the cross and he was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, the gospel accounts tell us on the Saturday after he was crucified, that the Pharisees went to Jesus on the, went, sorry, went to Pilate on the Sabbath. And they asked that the tomb be made secure because they, they knew what Jesus had prophesied that he would be raised from the dead. And they feared that his followers might come and take the body and something could happen. And the first, the, the last deception would be worse than the first. And so they asked Pilate to, to seal the tomb. And Pilate said to this, said this to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it secure as you can. Or go and make it as secure as you know. And Paul said this, I want to know. I want to know Christ and him crucified. I personally want to know the contents of what I preach. I decided when I came into your midst to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And I want that message to become increasingly true for myself, he's saying, and I want to proclaim it to others. See, the crucifixion is at the heart of the gospel. And so Paul's preaching was not philosophical. You know, he preached the cross. He preached a crucified Savior. He preached Jesus who died for the sins of the world. And that message... The beauty of the message of the cross is this, is that it's not dependent on human words of eloquence or wisdom or persuasiveness. And, and Paul illustrates the power of the gospel by referring to his own weakness and fear when he arrived in Corinth. He felt unequal for the task that was before him. You know, he might have been having some sense of failure in the work of Athens. He had certainly physical issues and disabilities for him happening. Um, literally, Paul was a physically weak man. The, the epistles account that for us. And so he says in verse three, when I was, and I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power. You know, I have to admit, I uh, tell you guys just something for fun, uh, something that I do to preachers, preacher to preacher. <laughs> That's this, when, you know, they're going into the pulpit and maybe I'm with a friend or we have a guest here or so somewhere else and they just express their nervousness. 
or they express their, uh, their weakness, I never give them any compassion. <laughs> no compassion. Say, wow, really? You're weak? You're nervous? Good. <laughs> you're right where you, you should be. I'm not sure if that's right. You know, it's not that I don't pray for them or something like that. I said, let's pray. But I don't want to console human weakness. I don't want to console that kind of trembling because there is a responsibility in the preaching of the word to represent the Lord, to be an ambassador, uh, to proclaim the gospel. And there should be an anxious desire to want to fulfill your duty, to fear God in light of the task that's in front of you. Paul, when he said, I, I, I came to you in weakness and trembling, he was speaking of a fear that was not grounded in the fear of men, but a fear that was grounded in the fact that he was afraid he would not preach the gospel as clearly as he should. And he wanted to honor God, so he was afraid when he went into the pulpit, when he taught. And so profound was Paul's sense of weakness that in his fear, his lack of trust in himself, that he literally quaked. Imagine that, you know. You've seen preachers do that. <laughs> Trembling as he came before the people. But I would say this, that was the secret to his preaching. He rejected, you know, reliance on himself. He rejected the ability to persuade people on the basis of human knowledge. Paul was, Paul was a man who had reason to be self-confident. When we read about Paul and his, hey, maybe we want to open that door. Um, maybe we don't. Yeah, maybe that parent doesn't want to open that door. You know, Paul had reasons for self-confidence, but he rejected those things. And he knew his limitations as a human being, and it made him weak and afraid when he proclaimed the message of the cross, but it kept him from the poison of self-reliance. It allowed the strength of God to be manifest in his weakness. It allowed God by his spirit to move through his life and through his ministry. And so Paul, when he came to Corinth, expresses this idea that he came to an understanding. It's the preacher's job to preach. And it's the Holy Spirit's God to demonstrate the power of God. In what has been proclaimed. You read about Paul. I mean whatever vision we have of Paul. In, in our mind's eye. It might be hard to believe this. On a, on a human level. But Paul was not a persuasive speaker. You can pull this picture. Out of all of his writings. He was not a good looking speaker. History says. He was not pleasing to the eye. And nor was he pleasing to the ear. His voice was, he kind of had like an annoying voice. Um, you know, he had physical health issues. It, some suggest that maybe his eyes were kind of swollen and weeping all the time. And, um, you know, he certainly didn't have a, a radio voice. I, I mean, on a human level, Paul was not a compelling man. But on a spiritual level, the power of God demonstrated was demonstrated in his ministry by the Spirit of God. It, it was his very human shortcomings and deficiencies that allowed God to demonstrate the Spirit's power in his preaching. And so when he faithfully proclaimed Christ crucified uh, by the power of God, the message carried conviction upon the hearts of people. And, and what happened in Corinth? People got saved. Because it was accomplished not by Paul, but by the Spirit of God. And so Paul isn't, you know, he isn't saying, you know, you should deliberately be a poor preacher. Lord knows there's enough of that, right? Uh, he's not suggesting that we don't use gifts that God has given us. He's saying don't depend on human talent and human wisdom and self-reliance. It's poison. Why not, Paul? Well, he tells us in verse 5 what his heart was. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. You know, I think when people want to get something from someone else, as human beings, we have all sorts of incredible tactics that we can use. You know, we can take it by force. Uh, We can be persuasive. We can be manipulative. We can be controlling. You know, we can argue. We can do whatever we want to convince and coerce and force someone to our point of view or to get what we want from them. We, we murder, we steal, we kill. But that is not how God works. When, when God wants to make himself known and make the, the message of the cross known, Paul says he does so by means of a demonstration. That means he... He manifests the truth. He he will show you the truth of the message. He will prove it through the work of the Spirit. Showing it forth and causing it to be manifest. And the the reality is, is what happens is, when that happens, there's no doubt. Faith is inspired. And it's the, the result of the powerful working of the Spirit. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit demonstrates the message by working forth a miracle in our lives. I actually wanted to ask this. How many of you experience a miracle from God? I have. God demonstrated who he was to me by his spirit and no man can ever take from me what God did for me. The Holy Spirit also demonstrates the power of the gospel through inwardly working in our hearts. He takes a message that is foolish to the world and it's real in our hearts. You remember Jesus when he taught the crowds? Matthew records that they were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Acts, the book of Acts in chapter 6 tells us about Stephen who when he proclaimed the gospel and, and, and preached Jesus, those who opposed him could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. The Bible says he was full of, of grace and power. The spirit of God was manifesting as he proclaimed Jesus. Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, commanded not to preach the name of Jesus. The council opposed them saying, You're, you know, you have to stop. You can't preach this name of Jesus. And Peter and John said to the council, they said, there's salvation in no other name. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And the Bible tells us, Acts chapter 4, when the council saw their boldness and perceived that these were uneducated, common men, they were astonished They recognized that these men had been with Jesus and they took note of the fact. And that same simple power still accompanies the message of the cross. When the cross is preached, when Jesus crucified is proclaimed, it will produce persuasion and conversion and salvation. And it's because the spirit demonstrates his power at the preaching of that message. The gospel is accompanied by the Spirit's power for this reason. So that men's and women's faith may not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. That's why God has done miracles for you or he's spoken to your heart. Because God's desire is not that you would trust anything but him for your salvation. The gospel is accompanied by the Spirit's power. And so Paul in his weakness, well, his weaknesses really presented no problems for God. His weakness was not an obstacle for God. And and I love that because that means this, my weakness and your weakness do not present problems for God. 
Rather, our weaknesses provide a platform upon which the Spirit of God can work if we will allow Him to move through our lives. Paul, Paul came to the place where he, where he said this, I will gladly boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, he said, I'm content with my weakness. I'm content with hardship, with persecutions. I'm even content with calamities in my life because when I'm weak, I'm strong. When I'm not relying on myself, God can demonstrate his power in my life. And as Paul faithfully declared the gospel in Corinth, the Holy Spirit caused men and women's consciences uh, to be seared. Their hearts were witness to the, the truth of the gospel and what he said, and people got saved. What an awesome thing. And Paul said, in terms of the foundation of your faith and what it's built upon, I, I had to... I had to reject human wisdom and just preach Christ and him crucified so that your faith would be built on the power of God. You know, there's other things that people try to build their faith upon. One was happening in Corinth. They, they tried to put their faith in the messenger rather than the God who was proclaimed in the message. You know, we see that in our culture, right? Where we, we really glorify different leaders, different church leaders, different preachers of the gospel. I'm going to tell you something. Any preacher of the gospel is the wrong place to put your faith because they're always weak men, always. Another foundation that people put their faith in is in human reason. You know, Here's the problem with that. Human, human reason can be destroyed when someone comes along with a more clever or intelligent argument. It's why different cults and different religious movements target new Christians in particular. Because they try to overcome them with a more powerful argument. And if you're relying on an argument, you can be taken down. If someone is argued into the kingdom... They can be argued out of the kingdom. But when faith is produced by the power of God, it can't be overthrown. You cannot overthrow a faith that is produced by the power of God. That's why Paul said, I reject lofty speech. I reject human wisdom. He concentrated his message on that which was foolish to the natural man. And that is the message of the cross. Let me ask you something. What does your faith rest upon? What are you building your faith upon? I was thinking about it, you know, even, even the ministry of apologetics, which is so wonderful and so valuable. Awesome. I love that kind of stuff. But I don't want to build my faith on the reasons of an apologetic. I want my faith to be built on the power of God. That's a great supplement for the power of God. It's a great confirmation of that which God has done in my life, but it's not the spot for my faith because a stronger argument might come and take me down. I need to experience the power of God through the spirit of, the God, of God. What does your faith rest on? So let's back the train up here for a moment. This is why Paul said, when I came among you, I, I determined and I decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I could get trained in this. I could do this kind of training. I could, you know, I could join Toastmasters and I could become the leader of an apologetics ministry and I could do this and I could do that. I'm not saying those things are wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. Paul just was saying, my goal is this. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him better. I, I, I want to know Christ and him crucified. And that was his goal, not to develop his reasoning skills. He set his eyes on Jesus. He fixed his gaze on Jesus. He set his life on Christ. He sought to perceive 
the Lord who had saved him and he trusted the Lord who had saved him to manifest power through his own life and ministry. Psalm says, our help comes from the Lord. And Paul wanted to know the Lord. You know, it's been said this, the Christian on his knees can see farther than the philosopher on his tiptoes. Because spiritual truth can only be perceived by a spiritually prepared mind, by a spiritually prepared heart to whom the spirit of God demonstrates those things. And so Paul says in verse six, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. He says there's, there's a, a maturity for those who welcome the message of the cross. There's a spiritual maturity in their life. The worldly minded who reject the cross do not have that maturity. And contrasting those who receive the message of the cross and those who reject it, Paul talks about them as the rulers of this age, both physical rulers, I think, and even spiritual rulers. He says, the wisdom of this age is doomed to pass away. It's transient. It's not immortal. Their wisdom is not real. But here's a wisdom that is real. Christ and him crucified. The wisdom of God that God preordained before the foundations of the world were laid. He told us in the last chapter, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And it's the mature who accept God's provision for them on the cross, even if the world sees it as folly. Verse 7. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. We impart a secret or a hidden wisdom of God. It's called a secret. It's called hidden wisdom. Some Bible translations will say we're, it's a mystery. It's a truth that was hidden in ages past, but now has been revealed to the people of God. It's an open secret, Paul is saying. This isn't a secret that's closed. This is a secret that's been made open that we proclaim. Christ and him crucified for, for the salvation of the world. And it cannot, that, it, it, it's good that he calls it a sense, in a sense a secret because it can't be perceived unless the spirit of God makes it real to your heart. It, it's still that way. Even though it's an open secret, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He came and he died on the cross for you so that your sins could be forgiven and you could have the free gift of eternal life. It's an open secret. But it can't be perceived unless the Holy Spirit unveils it to the human heart. What is the wisdom of God? Christ Jesus crucified for the sins of the world. Jesus, the source of life. Jesus, the wisdom of God. Jesus, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus, our rescue sent from heaven. And this wisdom is revealed to believers. It's revealed to those who put their faith in Christ. But for the unbelieving, it remains this, this secret, this thing that they, they can't understand. It's a hidden wisdom and it remains a mystery for them. What's with those Christians, man? Those guys are crazy. Living for Jesus in another world and seeking to serve him. But Paul says the gospel was not an afterthought for God. When he laid the foundations of the world, it was planned in the mind of God before time. Before time, God was looking out for the well-being of his creation. And he, he made provision for the issue of sin, for the sin of mankind, and to bring us to his glory through Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
The rulers of this age did not understand in Paul's time. They do not understand in our time. At the time when Jesus was crucified and that crowd stood before Pilate in the Antonio Fortress and they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. The Bible says they did not know what they were saying. They did not realize standing before them, beaten and bloodied and wearing a crown of thorns was the Lord of glory. Had they understood who Jesus was, had they understood what it meant to reject Jesus, they never would have partaken in that. Never. And this illustrates the point that, that God's wisdom, the secret hidden wisdom, is not made known to a man unless there is a revelation from the Spirit of God. Jesus was with Peter and the disciples and the north, taking them away for a little while to spend some time with them that they might find rest. And they were having a conversation and Jesus turned to Peter and he said to him, Peter, how about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. Blessed are you for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter needed a revelation from heaven to recognize the nature of Jesus. You know, the story is told of Raphael, the, the Renaissance painter, the Italian, who was commissioned to paint a portrait of, of Jesus. And so he obtained a New Testament and with a brush in his hand, in one hand, I guess, in a sense, and the Bible open in his other hand, you know, he began to study the New Testament, riveted by every feature, absorbing every thought so that he could get a picture of who Jesus Christ was. Until finally, after I don't know how long it was, he fell on his knees and he cried the same thing as Peter, my Lord and and the picture was never painted. Rather, God stamped an image on his heart that would never be obliterated. Faith was born in him that no man could take from him because the Spirit revealed to him who Jesus was. Paul says he's the Lord of glory. You might want to underline that. The only place in the New Testament where Jesus is called the Lord of glory. And... Scholars, commentators said this. This is the loftiest title that Paul ever gave to Jesus. The Lord of glory. Certain proof that Paul uh, regarded Jesus as God, the second person of the Trinity. It, inconceivable, really, that Paul would give that title to anyone unless he believed that he was God. Jesus, the Lord of glory. Verse 9 says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. You know, I perceive things, you and I perceive things with our senses, right? Taste, touch, smell, sight, hearing. I'm missing one, right? Smell, did I say that one? I don't know. Five senses. And Paul re refers to these senses here and he says there's certain things that I cannot perceive with my eye. We take in lots of information with our eye. We, we look at the world and we're, you know, it'd be amazing one day when Lord... We're in heaven and we just see how God's created us and the way our bodies work and the way we take in information through the eye. But Paul says there's certain things that the eye can't perceive. Here's one, the wind. I can't see the wind. I see the effects of the wind. You know, I feel the wind on my skin, but I can't 
see the wind. My eye can't perceive that. He says there's another sense hearing. There's certain things that you cannot perceive with hearing, he says. It doesn't matter. You could, you could sit and listen to any teacher. You can sit and listen to this, that. There is, there is something that cannot be perceived with ears. There, there is something, he says, that the heart of a man can't even imagine. His mind can't comprehend this. He can't, it doesn't matter how much he thinks, he cannot comprehend unless there's a revelation, he says. Unless there's a revelation. That means, you know, it can't be understood with reasoning. It can't be understood with thinking. It can't be understood by these different senses. And it's this, God. God and the message of the cross cannot be discovered unless the spirit of God brings a revelation into the heart of a man or a woman. And Paul says, the things that God has prepared for those who love him, you can't understand those things with your eyes. You can't perceive those with your ears. Your brain can't even handle that then how do you get them? Well, verse 10, these things are revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. See, what we can't get through our eyes, the Spirit of God can teach us. What we can't perceive with our ears, the Spirit of God can teach us. It's not the intelligentsia or the learned philosophers to whom God reveals truth, but it's to humble Christians who bend the knee before him to whom God reveals his truth. You know, consider what Paul is saying about the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who brings revelation and there is nothing beyond his knowledge. You know, the Bible tells us in many spots, there's certain things that only the Holy Spirit can teach a man. Here's a few for fun. Psalm 25 verse 14 says, the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. God says, for those who fear me, there is a secret counsel that I will, I will direct you. I will teach you. I will make known to you our covenant relationship and you'll understand me and you'll get to know me. Solomon said in Proverbs 3.32, a devious person is an abomination to the Lord. But the upright are in his confidence. God says, I'll bring you into my confidence. You you get to come into the inner circle relationship with me. I'll let you know my thoughts and my thinking. Jesus said this in John 7, 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Jesus said, you'll come to recognize that my words come from God, speaking of himself. He said in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Because of the Spirit of God, we're brought into friendship with the Lord, and he makes known to us, you know, the divine nature of Jesus, the attributes of God, the counsels of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, the Spirit searches all things, the depths of all things. He delights to explore me and to explore the infinite depth of God, his own divine mind in a sense. And he reveals them to us, the counsels of God, the friendship with the Lord. Moses said this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever so that we may do the words of the law. See this revealing, searching nature of the Holy Spirit proves that he's God. That he's part of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity we call him. He's part of the Godhead. 
The Godhead uh, cannot be separated from the Spirit of God, just like a man can't be separated from the Spirit of a man. And the Holy Spirit searches all things, not in terms of getting information, but to penetrate with the presence of God. He wants to penetrate our lives with the presence of God. And there's nothing beyond his knowledge. He, he makes known to us the wisdom of God. He makes it clear and intelligible to us. Verse 11, it says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of a person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So that, that just proves the impossibility right there, that line of knowing God without the spirit of God. There must be a revelation. The spirit makes known the Lord. And when we invite Christ into our, our lives and the spirit of God enters my life, your life, our lives, our personalities begin to transform into the character of Jesus and reflect that. I become, we become very, you know, sharers in the life of Christ and the work of the cross. The Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God and he begins to reveal them to us. And God wants us to know uh, all of his grace and all of his blessings that he's planned for us. Verse 12 says, Now we have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. See, the spirit indwells believers. We become the temple of the living God. He comes and he, he makes us his dwelling place. And that happens the very moment you trust Jesus Christ. Jesus, I confess my sins and I turn to you in faith and I invite you to be the Lord of my life, to forgive me of my sin and to be the Lord of my life. His spirit, that's an invitation for his spirit to come and fill us. And the spirit of God enters our body and makes us the temple of the Lord. He's a gift from God a deposit ensuring that which is to come. He seals us. He remains with us. Never does he leave us or forsake us. And Paul says, we have not received a spirit of the world because we don't belong to this world. We belong to Jesus. And so he gives us his spirit. He's our comforter. He's our teacher, revealing to us the things of God, Applying the cross to our lives, making Jesus real to us. He helps us understand all that God has given us. Verse 13 says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The Spirit teaches us. The Spirit teaches us the wisdom of God. He teaches me the language and the words of the kingdom. The idea here is that the spirit actually gives you specific words to proclaim Christ and him crucified. Teaches us so that we would understand all that we have in Christ and be able to proclaim Christ. You know, one of the ways where you can experience the work of the spirit every day in your life is by having a personal quiet time. I hope you have that. If you don't have that, I gotta encourage you. There's almost nothing better in the Christian life than to sit down in the morning with your coffee and your Bible and to say, Spirit of God, would you speak to me through the Word of God? You don't have to wait for Sunday morning. You can experience it every day of the week at your own kitchen table or sitting on the sofa or lying in, in your bed. You can say, Spirit of God, speak to me through the word of God. And this is a living word, a, a living word. And the Holy Spirit does something incredible. It's as you read it, nothing ever comes off the pages of the scripture by accident. You never have a thought and go, oh, wow, that was neat. For the sake of it just being a neat thought, it's because the spirit of God is speaking to you. He's pointing something out to you. And, and we have to develop 
the, the ear to listen to him and let him teach us. And the study and the application of the word of God in your daily life will absolutely transform your relationship with God. If you, if you don't have a quiet time, I encourage you every day, come up with a plan, read one chapter, invite the spirit of God to teach you and to direct you because he is our teacher. Verse 14, Paul says this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. The natural man cannot perceive the things of God. That's what Paul is saying here. Why? Because they're foolish to him. You know, if you're not a Christian, what I am speaking this morning sounds totally foolish to you. Blah, 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 blah. It's foolish. The natural man finds the preaching of the cross for salvation to be foolish. It doesn't make sense to him because he's not equipped by the spirit of God to understand it. It hasn't been revealed to him. Paul says, you know, uh, the natural man cannot judge the spiritual man because he doesn't understand these things. But in contrast, you know, the spiritual man can form a judgment about all things, he says. And when Paul writes that the spiritual man is not subject to any man's judgment, you know, he's, he's, not, saying, he's not saying you're not going to be held into account, you know, for your actions or your speech or behavior. But he's saying that the natural man, the unsaved person, the person who is unregenerate is in no position to understand our lifestyle, to understand our motivation to want to live for God or to live according to God's wisdom or to say the cross is the center of my life. I want to live for Jesus Christ. He's in no position to understand that because he does not have the spirit of God. The natural man cannot understand the spiritual man. But flip side of the coin, the spiritual man can understand the natural man. Because we've all were natural men at one time, women. I lived in the natural outside of Jesus Christ, and I know what that life's like. And I know what it's like to have Christ and him crucified and be saved and be given the spirit of God. I know both sides, but the natural man doesn't know the spiritual man. And you know, the natural man says, you know, I was thinking about this. The natural man says, what, what's the, the line of culture? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Uh, but that's actually not what the scripture says. We read right here. The scripture says the spiritual man makes judgments on all things, but he himself is subject to no man's judgment. You know, the scripture teaches this judging issue, the scripture teaches us that Jesus Christ is the judge. That he will judge all men. That all men will stand before him. And Jesus didn't say, don't judge. He said this. He said, the measure with which you use to judge, you will be judged. Never said, don't judge. And we read here, Paul says, the spiritual man judges all things. I always say this, make right judgments. That's what the Lord wants from his people, make right judgments. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. Verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Natural men who judge spiritual men and those who are living according, you know, in contrast, those who are living according to the mind of God. We have the mind of Christ. Natural men when they make judgments over spiritual men are essentially making a judgment over God, Paul's saying. 
you're, you're wishing to instruct God. No, the cross is foolish. Oh, man. Who are you to tell God that his wisdom is foolish? God sent his son because he loved the world to die on a cross for the sins of the world so that we might be saved and have the free gift of eternal life. Foolish? That's you calling God foolish. We have the mind of Christ, Paul says. Isaiah 40 says this. I want to read it to you. Speaking of the mind of the Lord, Isaiah said, Isaiah 40, verse 13 through 14, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And whom made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Isaiah says this, who can know the mind of the Lord? Who can, who can instruct God? But Paul says, we've been given the mind of Christ. When he says that, he's referring to Jehovah. He's, he's calling Jesus Jehovah again for the multiple time here in the, the, this book to the first Corinthians. He, he's applying this to Christ. Jesus is Jehovah. Is the mind of God, and it's given to us by the Spirit of God. Christ and Him crucified. Christ and Him crucified. Oh, when He said, I, when I came to you, I came not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the sum and the substance of the Christian message. You know, to display that as the banner, you know, our banner, the banner of the cross, to invite people to the cross, to invite them to come under the, the banner of the cross, that is, that's the job of the church. That is the message that we preach. That is the business of CTK. That is our commission from the Lord to proclaim Christ and him crucified. We don't trust human wisdom. We don't rest on those things. We preach Christ and we trust the spirit of God to demonstrate his power to the hearts of men. Let's pray this morning. I invite you guys to stand with me.